welcome to Alabama. Welcome to Birmingham. Welcome to Hoover, the suburb that we're in. Welcome to the trail and welcome to Ross Bridge. Um, we're going to start and have about a 30-minute program before dinner, although they've put some of the food out and it smells awfully good, and, but we're gonna, we've got some interesting things for you before we get into the food. Uh, so if you could find a seat, that would be great, and we're going to start the program. We'll have a 30-minute program, then we'll have dinner from 7, starting at 7, and then we'll have another we'll, a featured program starting at 8. I want to first uh, introduce a couple of people that are here that I think you'd want to get to know uh, that have been involved with Golf Week. Uh, I was paired with him today, Jason Lust. Jason, if you'd stand up and give a, give a wave. Uh, he's over there. Jason has been the, uh, the tra he's the travel editor and he's been creative director for Golf Week magazine for a number of years and anything that shows up in print now is a printed magazine. Uh, Jason's very much a part of that. Uh, so uh, I'm glad to have Jason here. He comes to a couple of events every, every year. Um, I also, um, we've got an other introductions that'll come when the program, when other parts of the program begin, but uh, it was great for Diane to be able to come. Actually, after all these years, I've been a Raider since 1998, but it's the first time I actually met Diane face to face. I've had lots of interactions with her before. Uh, I want to bring up just for a few remarks uh, a fellow member. I'm, I'm on the advisory committee for the Golf Week Raider program now. I've been since January. Uh, and one of the other advisors uh, on that board is here tonight, uh, Jay Blasey. And I wanted Jay to come up and say a few words to you just of welcome. And also to say some things about the nature of the architectural summits that we have uh, as compared to just a, rate, a regular Raider event. This is really something special and a little bit different than what we normally do. So, Jay, are you in the house? Yeah, here we go. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everybody. It's great to see everybody and uh, just so honored to have everybody here. Uh, as Jim mentioned, you know, the architectural summits are a little bit different than your, your normal retreat. And so uh, Jim, as Diane mentioned, has really uh, taken the bull by the horns and spearheaded this, uh, this event and, and put together an amazing program. We're, we're honored to have uh, special guests throughout, throughout the entire event. And so our hope with these architectural summits is that you guys can get a peek behind the curtain, right? And we do, it, we do that in different ways. We've had different uh, topics or subject matters. A few years ago, they were at Streamsong. We tried to peel the curtain back and share what it was like to uh, understand what project managers and shapers and turf grass managers, uh, how they contribute to golf and golf design. Last year, we were at Pinehurst. We did a, an in-depth study of uh, the Pinehurst Resort and its history and evolution through time uh, and throughout the different uh, uh, throughout the past we've, we've been lucky enough to honor different uh, golf architects including Donald Ross and uh, Cor Crenshaw and others and so for this event uh, we are lucky to be honoring Robert Trent Jones Sr. and the, and the Jones family and uh, so hopefully this will be a wonderful event we do ask afterwards, because it is different and because we try to go in-depth, we'd love your feedback. And so whenever you have a chance afterwards, please let us know what you thought 
worked well, if there were things that you'd like us to refine. One of the things we hear at all the normal retreats is that the Raiders love the educational portion. They always want more and whatever more we can do. But with these architectural summits, you know, we've got a wide range of potential topics. So we'd love to get your feedback as to what you think worked well and, and, and didn't. So uh, with that, I'll pass it back to Jim and just say a huge thank you to Jim and to Diane and the rest of the group uh, for putting everything together. Well, I want to be very brief in introducing our first keynote speaker uh, because uh, we want to give him as much time as possible. Uh, he's the mo one of the most remarkable men in, in, the, in Alabama golf in, in the last two or three decades. Uh, I'm talking about Bobby Vaughn, who is head of the Sunbelt Corporation that, that teamed with the Alabama Teachers Retirement System under Dr. David Bronner to envision this tremendous thing that came to our state starting in the 1990s, uh, the Robert Trent Jones Trail. Uh, Bobby's own, uh, I mean, a lot about him is included in my biography of, of Mr. Jones, but he's someone obviously that knew Mr. Jones pretty, pretty darn well and of course was there for the very start of the, of the trail. And so I, I've just asked him and it's a gr great honor to have him here with us tonight to tell you a few stories about his associations with Trent Jones Sr. and the building of the trail. So Mr. Bobby Vaughn. Thank you, Jim. Um, I understand we have people here from all over the place. How many, from, not from Alabama? Oh my, golly. How many from abroad? Anybody? All from, got, got one, okay. Well, let me be the first to officially welcome, or not the first, but welcome you to, welcome to Alabama and welcome to the trail. And I thought what I would do tonight uh, is, is probably try to address three basic things. Uh, first of all, why did we build the trail? I mean, I think that's something that is very, you know, it's very unique and probably not understood. The second thing is, why did we choose Robert Trent Jones as the architect? And third, I think, would be from a design standpoint, what did he teach us? You know, what was his messages to us in this process? So if I could, there are kind of three things I kind of want to go through. I'll take you through them. Let's first start with why we did the trail, because I think it's a story that is unique to golf, it has never been done and probably will never be done again. I want to take you back in the late 80s. Can anybody remember what the late 80s were like? You know, it was a, it was a pretty tough time. You know, uh, the millennials of today won't understand that interest rates then were what, 12, 15, 18, 20%. You know, the world was kind of at rock bottom. And everything in the United States was in pretty tough times as it was. But then there's Alabama. And let me tell you about Alabama. It's a wonderful place, but, you know, Alabama has been at the bottom ranking. It's either 58th or, you know, 40th, 49th, 48th, 50th, you name it. It's one of those, always has been. And so back in the late 80s, the state commissioned a, sur a survey, and they asked people why they came to Alabama. What do you think they found out? I'll give you the answer. 74% came to Alabama back in the late 80s because they were passing through on their way to somewhere else. 18% came to visit family and relatives. 
And we just surmised that the other 4 or 5% came to either an Auburn or Alabama football game. But that's why you came to Alabama. And we, Alabama was pretty much the laughing joke of everybody. We were last in everything and every four-letter negative connotation you could come up with. That kind of said a lot about Alabama. So basically, the concept of the trail and why did we do the trail was simply this. And this is the question, and now I can at least, we know what the answer is now, but back then it was kind of a dangerous question. The question was, could you use golf as a vehicle to change the entire image and attitude and perception of the state? Now you have to think about that for a minute because ask yourself, why do people build golf courses? What's their purpose? We know that everybody maybe have a different purpose. There are people that build monuments to themselves, there are whatever. But have you ever heard of anybody doing it to see if you couldn't change a state? Could you, could you use golf? Could you get people coming here using golf and saying something nice about you? So basically I went, you know, as, as somebody reminded me often, you know, great ideas without money are just great ideas. So I went to the, became friends back in the, in the 80s when I was doing a project in Alabama with the head of the pension fund here. It's a $40 billion pension fund. And the timing was right because basically with everything being so bad, you know, as we became friends, he kept telling me the story that Bobby, the stronger the state of Alabama is, the stronger the retirement systems will be. But if there is no Alabama, there will be no retirement systems. And so I was able to convince him that we could use public golf as a vehicle to see if we couldn't change his state. And so I'll tell you a, just a funny story to kind of start with. Uh, I'd gone to Wake Forest and, and I was up with R.J. Arnabisco um, in Winston-Salem and he called and said, can he come visit? And so it was it, basically as we were doing that, um, he came up and it was right after R.J. Arnabisco had been bought out by KKR, if you remember back in, in 89. And so he came up and he visited for a week. We were having dinner one night and he said, what's it going to cost to do one of these crazy golf courses you want to do, these public upscale golf courses? I said, well, you know, there are a lot of variables that go into that, but probably five to ten million apiece. And I will admit right now we had both had too much to drink that night. But his immediate question to me was, well, can we open with 20? And uh, before I could even answer, he reminded me, very, he said, you know, when you're a $40 billion pension fund, unless we can do something for a couple hundred million dollars, it isn't even worth the paperwork. He said, can you do that? And I said, yeah. <laughs> we had another drink, and he said, how long is it going to take you? I said, uh, two years. <laughs> now, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I... Should have had anything else to drink that night. But, the, you know, but anyway, we both thought about it, and that kind of was the genesis. But the point being, how many of you have ever heard about you know, why, you, why the trail was done? It was done on a, basically, could we use golf as a vehicle to change the state? And that, I can promise you those first five, six, seven years were pretty lonely. Not for me, but for him, because it, it, our deal was this. He'd put up the money, and he'd give me all the political cover I needed, and I'd just go get it done. But I promise you, when you've got 25% of the electorate in the state of Alabama had have their pension funds invested in the state retirement systems, and they found out they were going to use them to build golf courses, they didn't understand. 
to say the least. So again, a neat story about you know why we did the trail. Again, we could talk about the trail at length, and I'll be happy to ask your questions. But you know, it obviously was the largest golf course construction project ever attempted anywhere in the world by a long shot. We did it in under two years, under budget. Um, so there's a lot of good things to do, and. The fact is that the trail on a cash flow basis has been positive ever since we opened in 1992 over the last 30 years. So a very positive thing. I will ask today though, how many of you got to play Ross Bridge today? And was it okay? Um, you know, again, I, I mean, it kind of goes into when we get into some of the design philosophies. I see a lot of women in the audience tonight. One of the design philosophies that uh, you know, we implored here in Alabama, and you know, we had, we have lots of T's out there. I hope you got on the right set of T's, but part of our design philosophy when we get into that in a couple of minutes would be to torture men and pamper women. You're in the South. And, 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 and so one of my favorite stories about from a design standpoint, but we have a great bet here in Alabama, and it's, I hate to, hate to admit that we've done this over the years, but you know, if you go to the back tees here at Ross Bridge, for example, they're 8,200, then you can go to the front tees and they're 4,600. And you can do the math, that's 3,600 yards difference. And if you take that over 18 holes, then you can do the math and understand it's an average of 200 yards difference a hole. So we used to have some good players that would come to Alabama. And we, I used to have fun with them because they just said, you know, they talk about, you know, how, how, they, how good a player they were and all that kind of stuff. So. Usually the way I would get them to come to Alabama back in those early years is I would tell them, listen, and, I'm, and being a golf professional, I'm a great player, but I was good enough that I could handle this bet. And I'd say, if you'll come to Alabama, and these would be single-digit handicappers, I'll say, I'll give you a stroke a hole for 18 holes if you'll come play. And the only condition was that you're going to play the, the, the back tip of the back tee at Ross Bridge, and I'm going to pay the front tip of the front tee. And I'm giving you a stroke a hole for 18 holes. I can promise you I've never lost one of those bets. <laughs> so we get into the trail and then we get into why did we, why did we choose Mr. Jones? A good question. When I first met Mr. Jones back in 1987 when we were, I was with RJR Nabisco and we were re going to redo the championship course at Tanglewood, which is where the 74 PGA was held at Trevino beat Nicholas. And so Mr. Jones had originally done the golf course. We hired him and his team to come in and do it. So I met Mr. Jones in 1987. And at that time, Mr. Jones was 80. I would think right around 80. And I was in my late 30s. And we just became very, very good friends. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And so in the process, not only was Mr. Jones, but he had all, all of his team with him. And so if you ask the question, well, why did we hire Mr. Jones? Well, it was simple. What's the number one thing that we probably, or some of the key things that we needed if you're going to set out to attempt to do what we were doing? What would be some of the key things you'd have to do? You'd have to have. Marketing. Marketing 101. Mr. Jones, let me just say this, was a marketing genius. Any of you that ever got the chance to meet him or be with him? I mean, he was incredible. And everywhere we went, and, and of course at 80, he, he wasn't able, you know, in, in, until 93, 94, right in there, he may not have been able to get out in the field and do, to do all the work, and I'll talk about that in a minute, 
But from a marketing standpoint, Mr. Jones was incredible, and he was a great storyteller. And if you're ever with him, I can promise you, especially the ladies, I mean, he was a charmer. Is that, fa is that fair, Bobby, being nice to your dad? Um, he was a charmer. In fact, I never would take Mr. Jones anywhere. We'd be anywhere that uh, we just didn't have lots of ladies around Mr. Jones. It was just kind of like a magnet. But we chose him for the marketing standpoint. We needed, we wanted the name, and we wanted somebody with the marketing expertise. And, and I don't know if there's anybody ever in golf that has marketed anything as well as Mr. Jones did. The second reason that I think we wanted Mr. Jones was because I think his philosophy from a design standpoint fit ours. In other words, the old statement, and today was a good example, you know, I felt like if I could summarize it, it was go big and go bold. Mr. Jones wanted difficult golf courses. There's no doubt about it. Now, put yourself in our shoes. If you're going to use golf as a vehicle to change a state, can you go build normal, typical golf courses? No way. You've got to be willing to get out on a limb and, and really go do something different that's never been done. And if you look back, and, and I went back and studied Mr. Jones and all of his work, I mean, he really did. I mean, I think he was one of those few, especially early on in the process, that really wanted big, hard, difficult golf courses. Now, I promise you, we've taken a lot of flack for that over the years. Everybody has always said, your golf courses are too hard. And so we tried to make up for it in other ways. But that was really Mr. Jones's philosophy. You know, go big, go bold. The other thing that, that the last reason we chose Mr. Jones, besides his marketing impact and besides the fact that his design philosophies over the years matched pretty much what he wanted to do, and this is usually the story, it was his people. Now, I don't know if you ever have heard about some of the people that were, that, that were around Mr. Jones and he had been with him for a long, long time, but the lead of that was an architect named Roger Rulich. Anybody ever heard of Roger? Roger Rulwich, in my opinion, is the, and I don't mean this derogatory, but, uh, but Roger Rulwich is the only architect I've ever met anywhere in the world that didn't have an ego. I mean, he was all about team. He was all about getting it done. He really was Mr. Mr. Jones's eyes and ears in the design field for what, the last 40, 50 years? I mean, certainly for a long, long time late in Mr. Jones's career. And most people will never know that name, but if you ever get a chance, Roger lives up in Berniston, Massachusetts, but Roger, probably the best architect that I've ever seen that didn't have an ego. And his claim to fame, and I know this uh, because I have talked to many architects over the years, when you build a golf course, if we had to prioritize what we look for in building a golf course, first and foremost, as Mr. Jones would always tell us, first of all, it's the site. You know, you gotta start with a great site. The second part of that, after you start with a great site, is the routing of a golf course. And don't ever underestimate the routing. And I can, I'll make a statement, in my opinion, Roger Rulwich is the best router of a golf course they've ever had of any architect that's ever done it. Wonderful man, if you ever get a chance. Um, I would hope you get to meet him one day. And then along with Roger, you had the other people that, from the shapers and the people like that. Neil Frazier is somebody I think you're going to meet Tuesday night. You know, Neil, Neil 
and Roger and that whole team, and many of them, Alan Davis was from here in Birmingham, Mike Newell, I mean, there was a whole team of them. But they were really, really, really team-oriented, which got us into this concept, and I know it's a unique concept, but we actually believe that golf design should be a team sport. Now, again, I can say this many times today. We all go to a golf course, and it's going to be so-and-so will have their name on it. But I'll promise you behind the scenes, it's incredible all the people that have input into that process. And in Mr. Jones's case, he had assembled a team with Roger and Neil and all the rest of them that truly was a team concept. They were open to anything we wanted to do. And so just to kind of put it in perspective of what we did, we did a, we did a design bill. In other words, we were being very frugal. We did it on the fly. This, you know how you can kind of, people say, well, you were building an airplane while you were, you were flying an airplane while you were trying to build it? And that was us. And, and yet... To put it in scale, the scope, on those first year or two, we had over 700 pieces of equipment running throughout, from one end of this day to the other, all at the same time. Think about that one. I mean, that, I mean th those numbers are just staggering. And so you, you think of it from a design bill, you know, we just, we started with a great site, we started with a routing, and then we turned everybody loose. And there were very little anything written down. And so the concept we had was very, you know, we, we were buying low. You were at a low time in, in society where, where the dollar could buy a lot. You were at a time that there was a lot of people available so we could get great deals with everything involved in it, whether it be the, the Toros or the Easy Goes or all the other vendors in the world. And then basically we figured out very, our philosophy on the front end was that the biggest cost of building a golf course, what do you think it is? Sorry? No. 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 Here we go. You ready? This will, this, I want you, you'll go home tonight and you're going to be thinking about this when you try to go to sleep at night. The biggest cost of building a golf course, like anything else, is time. The longer it takes you, the more it costs. It's as simple as that. Think about that one. Everything you do. And so you could get in, you can get into building a golf course, for example, the dirt contractors, and we had a great one. Phillips and Jordan did every, all of it for us. They're the second largest caterpillar owner in the world behind Saudi Arabia. But basically, if you got an average dirt guy, you know, when they load that truck of dirt, you know, they load it by, you know, basically how much dirt they put in the truck. But if you measured the hole in the ground, they don't match up. And so you could spend your time fiddling with all the numbers and all the things like that. And we didn't do that. It was time. We went and hired a construction company. And basically, we got to the point on the trail with all the people we had. We could go from inception right now today. And we could build a golf course from start to finish in four and a half months. Now, that didn't mean growing it in. But we could build it in four and a half months, start to finish. And I don't think anybody, those numbers, nobody will ever touch. Because we had so much expertise and so much firepower, but it gave us the ability to do it very quick. And so I know I'm getting late, and I don't want to take too much time, Jim, but I want to tell you some of the things that Mr. Jones, you know, shared with us that were, that from a design standpoint, 
was very interesting. You know, and I got to spend a lot of time with Mr. Jones personally. And every time we were together, and we, especially I would take him to a new site and show him what we're trying to do and all like that, his first question to me always was, Bobby, is your canvas big enough? I always thought that was a really interesting question. He always asked me that question. Is your canvas big enough? And I would ask him, I would say, Mr. Jones, what do you mean by that? He says, you've got to understand, if you're going to build big, bold golf courses, if you don't start with a canvas that's big enough, you're going to always be limited in what you do. Now, let's take Ross Bridge today. Ross Bridge, this golf course here today was built on three, the golf course itself is on 300 acres. We laid 286 acres of sod on this golf course. I call that a big golf course, you know. But, it, but again, you know, it, Mr. Jones kept wanting, you know, always, is your canvas big enough? The second thing that Mr. Jones, I think, shared with us, he always, you could get his hands going because he was a marketing guy and he would get going. That's just what architects do. They get their hands going. He'd get his hands going and he'd say, he'd always talk about the rhythm of line. I mean, he always talked. And, I, and I, so I, you know, the first time we were having dinner one night, and I said, Mr. Jones, you know, I'm a mathematician by trade. And the definition of a line is it's straight. How can you have a line with rhythm? if the definition of a line is straight. And of course, he would continue on. But this point was, what do you think the point was he was trying to tell us? Mr. Jones basically didn't, a lot of the older golf courses where they would go build tees and some bunkers and some greens, he wanted everything tied together. Wherever the landscape was, whatever the boundaries were, he wanted the whole thing tied together on the golf course. And so when you were out there today looking at that golf course, I don't know if you noticed, but every square inch inside everything was graded and shaped, all to tie in to everything else. Which is a, you know, I've never heard of that anywhere else, a rhythm of a line. Have you ever heard of that? You know, interesting concept. So he wanted it big, he wanted it bold. Everything was big, and like here at Ross Bridge, you know, 8,200 from the back is a long golf course. Not that we want, expect you to play it from back there. But the point being, what we found out very quickly, and Mr. Jones would have been very proud of this, if you get 8,200 yards long, guess what else happens? You go put a normal green out there or a normal buckle, and what does it look like? It looks like a midget. In other words, we found that from a scaling standpoint, if you get that long, you've also got to get that wide. And everything else has to get big enough to where it actually fits your eye. And another thing that Mr. Jones was big on, he wanted his impression, and I can't tell you the times that in, in, his, in his later years that we would ride him in a golf cart, but we would ride up on a tee, and every time we would go to a tee, he wanted a wow factor. He wanted you to walk up to a tee and stand there and go, wow. And if you think about it today, I hope you had some wow factors. I mean, you know, there's some, there's some big boy tees out there. So again, you look at the influence of a Mr. Jones, you know, whether it be from a marketing, whether it be from all the design things that he taught us, or from his people. But basically, he was the perfect choice for us in Alabama to go do something that nobody had ever done and to do something different. And I can't, you know, we can't thank him enough. I can promise you that. So, Jim, questions? Anybody have questions? Yeah, we have time for a couple of 
couple of quick questions. I know you're hungry. You start throwing the rolls. Yes. Well, this was our, you know, we, one of the things, good question, um, we, we, had it, we had the golf course, you know, open and playable, you know, within the first year and a half, something like that, but this one had a hotel. And one of the things we did at, at the trail, um, you know, we built all these golf courses, we have 26 golf courses, but I'll never forget within the first year, Dr. Bronner and I both got a letter from a retired 72-year-old teacher from Ohio. And she said, and it was pretty typical of all the letters that we had stacks of mail. She said, you know, I came to Alabama. She's had, had the most wonderful experience of my life. I spent a week there. I played, you know, seven different facilities. And it was incredible. But on page seven of a single typed letter, there was the word on the bottom of page six was but. You know, like, you know, usual. So I turned it over on page seven. She said, but don't you have a nice place to stay in Alabama? Don't you have a good place to eat? Don't you have something for the women and children to do? You know, it can't be just about golf. And so, you know, to put it in perspective, you know, let's go back to why we did the trail. Again, we did it to change Alabama, and I can tell you, you know, the selling point when I was trying to get the retirement systems to do this project, 78% of corporate executives play the world, in the world play golf. And we felt we could recruit business. And without getting into too much detail, you know, the retirement systems was at ground zero. We're bringing Mercedes here in 93. And since then, Alabama's probably got more new business than any state in the country. It's incredible all of the business that's come here because of that. Also, retirees wanted golf. And it made a big difference. And in the number one industry in over 40 states in the United States, you know what it is? Tourism. And they want golf. And it made a big deal. But in doing that, we had the golf part covered, but now we're starting to get letters from, don't you have anything else? So the retirement system said, you know, they're doubling down and say, we're going for it all. We started the hotel group. And we have now, this is one of eight major hotels we have around the state. You know, uh, the Grand Hotel down in Point Clear, I don't know if you've been, any of you have ever been there. It's over a 200-year property that was a hotel, you know, was a hospital in the Civil War, incredible. We have eight hotels you know, similar to this, all in the Marriott and Renaissance family. Um, but, but again, we started the hotel group. This was the first one where we actually did the golf course and hotel on the same property. You know, I mean, that's a good question. There's really two questions here. There's a tangible and an intangible question. You know, I think we're all smart enough to know that, you know, does golf make a lot of money? Most of the time, no. We kept our, we've kept our head above water, but the purpose here from the retirement systems was not, in this case, was not necessarily to return every last dollar. It'll come back in other ways. This purpose here was intangible. Could you use golf as a vehicle to change a state? And now you can go back through all the history of all of the companies who come here, all the retirees have come here, all of the tourists that have come here. Tourism, when we started the trail in the late 80s, was 800 million a year, and it's now gone over 20 billion today in this state. So, so again, all of those things, you know, they're huge. How do you put an intangible value to it? And the retirement systems, I can't tell you enough about Dr. Bronner and retirement systems, 
and I, I think you could certainly make a case without cutting your answer too short, it probably is the biggest and most successful thing that's ever happened in the history of the state, from a state standpoint, all just using golf as that vehicle, which is a great part of the story. And again, going back to answer your question again, so the golf course was ready much quicker than trying to get this hotel done, which is where the pro shop was. So I'm going to stick around and hear Mr. Jones and, and the rest of the dinner. Any more? I'm sorry? You know, I've said, I thought we were, we'd stopped adding them years ago, and then all of a sudden, you know, Dr. Bronner wakes up one day and decides we wanted to do another one. So I don't know. And we, and we still, you know, we still have the right to build another 50 Robert Trent Jones golf, senior golf courses, if you'd like. But again, the, the, the next logical question would be, would do you ever want to go out of Alabama? And the answer is probably not, because the purpose here was to change the state. And if you think about it, I, I think you'll find in Alabama, Alabama's got a lot of great golf. You know, I know you were at Turtle Point yesterday, a wonderful facility. I know you were here today. I know you're going to Birmingham Country Club with Eric and Neil on Tuesday. You know, I would put the golf here in Alabama now up against almost anywhere. And you can, it shows up in the, in the, in the arena, you know, great public golf courses. You look at the kids and the juniors and the great players that are now coming from Alabama and our colleges here and we'll put them up against anybody. But I'll be around the rest of the night. If you have any questions, please let me know. Thank you.